Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. This is season four, episode 17, and I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. On the podcast today, we have for round two, pastor and creative Kevin Makins. He's a uh, back for a second time on the podcast because he's got a book called Why Would Anyone Go to Church? So we're going to be talking about why would anyone go to church? I'm going to be talking about art and creativity and his vlogging and all kinds of things. Because if you remember the last time we talked to Kevin, uh, you never know what's going to happen when you sit down with this guy. So I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. But hey, have you joined the Digital Church Facebook group? Uh, If you haven't yet, there's a link in the show notes here, but you can also go to facebook.com and, you know, just in the search engine, write Digital Church, and you're going to find our group. And would love you to join like-minded people, leaders, and passionate servers of the church from all over the world who are trying together to help each other, to resource each other, to encourage one another, uh, but really to share our best knowledge about the digital world, evangelism, discipleship, and our own growth. Thanks so much, Compassion, amazing partners at Compassion Canada, um, who make make this podcast possible. And as partners, not just to this podcast, but to the church around the world, they're doing amazing work in the midst of this pandemic. There's so many ways that we can get involved. And if uh, you've only been thinking about Uh, well, yourself, honestly, I would encourage you uh, to think about other people around the world right now who are going through what we're going through. Only, uh, you know, pandemic plus poverty is just exponential hardship for some people, but the need is great and we can actually do something about it because Compassion is the local church, like we are the local church, and they're serving on the ground doing all kinds of amazing work. Go to compassion.ca slash COVID today. You can see ways to give. You can see the stories of what's going on. I can't wait for you to check it out. There's all kinds of ways to get involved with a lot or a little. Encourage you to think of our brothers and sisters around the world and to do that today. Hey, Wycliffe College as well. It's at Evangelical Graduate School of Theology. I went there and did a master's in theological studies. Maybe you're thinking about studying more, growing. Maybe you want a whole master's or a doctorate. Uh, You can do that there. Or maybe you just want to take a course. You want to go to a conference. It's so affordable. It's so flexible. I mean, even in in non-COVID times, they do in-class and online offerings. The campus is beautiful if you're able to get to the campus. And uh, just this summer, I taught a course all about church and technology. So I encourage you to check out all the offerings of all the topics that they have. WycliffeCollege.ca slash WordMadeDigital. It's right down in the show notes. You can check it out. And hey, here's my conversation now with Kevin Makins. Welcome to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to season four, sponsored by Compassion Canada and Wycliffe College. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Kevin Makins, welcome back to Word Made Digital. Thanks. Am I your first recurring guest? Uh, you're my, maybe my second, maybe my second recurring guest. So that's so, kind of, I'll take silver. That's, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's kind of fun, right? I, um, the last what time up? we spoke, we were talking in, um, your buddy Jesse's, uh, studio. Yes. Yeah. And today we talk on the internet because we are both, uh, not really supposed to see a lot of people right now. 
Because because the world ended and now we're all in our bunkers continuing. To- <laughs> well, I got to say, your bunker looks nice, people. Uh, he's got uh, he's outside. He's got plants behind him. He's sitting got in the sun plants. in the backyard. Life There's some good. wood accoutrements in every maybe, direction. Maybe your mic's going to pick up some birds singing. That's the vibe oh. you've got. Yeah, or you also might hear my child coming in from like a ride with my housemate. Um, so you might. Well, there could be all sorts of distractions. This is not. <laughs> this is no bubble. We are. We are in a, a live backyard here, ladies and gentlemen. But well, yeah. And, and since last recording with you, you've had another child. So life's gotten busier. Tell us life a little bit for those who don't know you. Like, give us that context of who you are, what your, what your life is. Yes. Oh, hello, new friends. Uh, my name is Kevin Makins. I am a uh, pastor in downtown Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada. Uh, church planted about 10 years ago with a group of uh, people kind of on the edge of faith, on the edge of church, trying to figure out what church looked like. And now a decade later, we have learned like three or four things, which is really encouraging. Uh, <laughs> and we, uh, yeah, we've, we've kind of had this evolving story as a church, learning what the future of the church might look like uh, in Canada, in America, uh, around the world, listening to stories from people around the world about what churches look like in different contexts, and really trying to own this moment of complete reinvention of what it means to be the church in like a post-Christian culture, which is clearly the Canadian context as well as yeah. other places in the world, but also now in this kind of COVID, post-COVID moment what does it mean to be the church when you just can't do the things you've always done? So that's kind of on the church front. I mean, on the personal front, I've, I've got an amazing wife. Her name's Meg. She's very cool and very sweet and great. And then uh, I've got two kids, Clementine and Oscar. So Oscar's the one you haven't met yet. He's uh, eight months now. So he's been quarantined half his life. The poor kid. Wow, he just, that's he true. Half his life. It's very, I mean, he doesn't care though. He still is just as happy as can be. Um, and then we've got some housemates as well. So he lives, you know, we've got other people in the house and uh, it's not so lonely for him. But yeah, it's it's been a weird time to be uh, to be around with young kids and kind of revisiting everything about life in this time. And we live downtown Hamilton. So yeah, we, we love it down here. Now that said, it, you live in that sense a little bit unconventionally, like you've, you are a married you're a family married with kids, but you live with other people. And so tell me what that's like during, um, quarantine life. Like, has that been a positive thing? Every, is everybody like trying to get away for like, it's just like, I don't know how much space you have. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> are I mean, people live, like driving each other crazy. In, uh... We don't live in downtown Toronto, so we have more space than than most uh, who live where you live. But, it, you know, it, we still live in a city, still live in a pretty tight quarters. Um, one of my housemates is on the hammock right now, so I hope he doesn't overhear me like crap talking him right now. Uh, no, it's <laughs> honestly like with this quarantine thing, the highs are higher and the lows are lower. Mm. So like the strengths of like right now, my housemate is out on a bike ride with my daughter, teaching her how to ride bikes, you know, and that's giving my wife a break while our other kid naps so she can read a book. And like, that's amazing. You know, my other housemate is cutting the grass because he's off work right now and I'm working way more. So, you know, you can really tackle stuff like that. However, it worked really well when everybody went to work all day and then at night we got home and had dinner and then everybody went to their bedrooms and you were like, Hey, you know what? Living in community is easy. We only see each other like 30 minutes a day. Now we (laughs) see each other a lot. And 
what used to seem like a plenty large space for all of us to live in. Uh, it's like, hey, this kitchen could be three times the size. <laughs> We're still stepping over each other. But yeah, highs are higher, lows are lower. And uh, for this season of life, it's continuing to work really well. So we're going to continue rolling with it for now. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, the same thing. A lot of people, I was talking to someone who travels a lot for a living for their work. And she was like, you know, now I'm like, a ama- like she's married, but, but yeah. she's never really had to spend that much time <laughs> with her husband because right, yeah, you as you're joking about, you got that community's easy when it's only 30 minutes a day or like marriage is easy when it's only like a couple days of the week, but you know, this intensive, um, pressure cooker that everybody has been living in. Yeah. It, I love that the higher highs and lower lows. I think that's true. Yeah. And it, it really forces you to say like when you're, um, like I, my wife and I, we've been married for almost 13 years. We just have a way of like, she can say like, Hey, you didn't put the dishes away. Would you mind just doing that? Like, she's not mean. She'll just say it directly. You say what you think. But even with housemates or with with people that you might live with or live in close proximity to, I tiptoe around things all the time. You know, like the little resentments of like, oh, why didn't you close this? Why didn't you put that away? And we're having to learn, like, if we're going to live in close quarters like this, I almost said close combat, which is also true. If we're going to live in close combat like this, like, we've got to just say what we feel with each other. We've got to be able to say, hey, would you mind doing this? Or like, hey, thank you so much for doing this. Um, Like, we just have to learn to be direct with each other, which is not something even in like, I think we've had housemates for like seven years. We've never really had to get direct because you can just wait till you're got a bit of space again. So in some ways, I feel like we're treating each other way more like family during this time, because the other option is to just get bitter and resent each other. So, you know, it's been a a really interesting exercise. So like, I mean, just because we're talking about this, let's keep going. I'm curious about how this type of living has shaped you as a pastor. I mean, you're talking about communication, conflict resolution, community life. Um, What is it about the way you live that maybe influences how you would approach pastoral conversations? Yeah, sorry, I'm distracted at the present. My we have this nice ivy growing up the walls, and my neighbor now on their side of the fence at the apartment next door is just ripping all the ivy off the walls, and I'm just literally watching this ivy get destroyed and wondering. Speaking of conflict, do I say something or do you just let this roll? I think I'm just going to let this roll, Joanna. This is not the podcast content you were hoping for, but it is the <laughs> podcast content that apparently we have received that the Lord has chosen to give us in this moment. Is as I discuss, I'll watch my beautiful green ivy being ripped right off the walls. I can't even say anything because if I do it wrong, then all the listeners to this podcast will know that I'm not really a nice person. So I'm just going to have to pretend that's not happening. I mean, (laughs) if you want to go save your plants, we can pause and and you can come back later. Look, you might want to pause and take out all that little stuff anyways. But uh, (laughs) no, I'm good to roll on. That was just a very, this doesn't happen in your little studio spaces where you can explicitly focus on the conversation. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I'm, uh, I'm, there are no, there are no neighbors affecting me at this moment in my, in my spare room studio. Yeah. I will just allow you to to edit all this out later. Sorry about getting distracted. (laughs) So what was I just asking you? What did I, I was talking about how this pastorally, I'm curious about, yeah, I'm curious about like what the housing stuff has done as you like live with all these people in kind of a real upfront way, you don't have as much distance from, I don't know if all these people go to your church, but you don't have as much distance from the people you serve. Yes. I'll give you a pause here so I can re-engage the conversation and then you can chop out all that other stuff. (laughs) Sure. So yeah, the the interesting thing is that a lot of what we've learned about living in um, 
communal housing has affected um, understanding how the house of the house of God, the church, how we interact together. Because really, you're trying in both cases to make family out of people that are not biologically related. Um, you're finding what what does a familial relationship look like when you're not married to the person or like you're not a spawn of the person that you're living with. And so you do learn like, oh, we need to be able to be direct with each other. We need to learn to forgive each other. Like one of the best things about church is that it puts you close enough to people that you're going to accidentally hurt each other. And then you've got to learn to forgive each other. Hmm. And that is like, that's like a real gem. You know, no church has put that on their signs, but they should. Like, come join our <laughs> church. You'll be accidentally hurt by somebody, maybe intentionally, and then you'll have to learn to work it out and forgive one another. Like, that is life skills you don't find in many places because you really have to, in, to to receive that kind of um, that kind of conflict. You have to be close, physically close, close enough that you can't just turn off the screen and ignore the people that you're talking to close enough that you can't ignore them for a couple of weeks and, and hope they forget. Like you will, if you have conflict in your household, it will not go away until you deal with it. Same with marriages, same with children. It will erode the relationship until you deal with that pain. Hmm. And so in so many ways, housemates have taught me how to be a better husband, how to be a better pastor, but also being in the church has taught me how to be a better housemate. Um, it's given us the tools to learn how to name difficulties, uh, be non-anxious presence together, and then how to work through these things and actually find that our relationships are healthier on the other side of conflict, not less healthy for having had the conflict. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's a, it's a, a way of living that I know a lot of people try, um, in, you know, in my Christian communities, a lot of people idealize it, this living in community thing. But then the reality is, uh, you start having kids and stuff like that. And it seems to start to become just so much more complex and ultimately, and even just the simplicity, not even the, the human conflict, just the physical need for space that starts to, oh, yeah. um, you know, push on, you know, a family needing <laughs> a home of their own. What I, what I would say is like, um, I've never said that people have to live in community or like this is something they should do, but everyone should know that this is something you could do. Mm. Um, so one of the, like the greatest challenges in the West are people feeling lonely, people feeling financially strained. Um, well, it's like, Hey, you know, it solves both of those things, living yeah. in community. Um, you can pool resources, you can feel less alone. You can have a sense of family, but don't expect that it's going to be easier. You know, it's, it's not really going to be easy or harder. It's just going to be different. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think anyone feels, should feel like they should, but you should always know that you could. And, you know, we've had housemates before who moved out because we were going to have kids at the same time as them. And we just thought, you know what, let's call it two kids in a household with two different families. Eh, sounds a little intense. Yeah. And we had three, three people that are unmarried move in with us. And that's been awesome. And, you know, now we're down to two and, and they might move out and other people might move in. But, um, you know, trying to spend enough time in these different times of living together to really get to know these people to become family so that when whether they live in this house or they move on to their own houses, there's a, there's a bond there that we get to share that um, is deeper and, and feels more like, I think, what we're aiming at in the church, which is the feeling of real family, which is not free of conflict and not free of trial. Families, for many people, is the most difficult relationships they have, you know, so we, <laughs> yeah, when people are like, real. oh, this church is this church is hard. It's like, yeah, have you been in a family? Like, that's just what it is, man. Like, it's hard. That's why it's so important. And that's why it's so beautiful, especially in a, in a time when we can choose 
just about every relationship we have based off our preferences and our, our group chats. You know, it, it's important to find those places where we're meeting people who are different from us and therefore it's going to be harder and therefore it could be more fruitful. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many places I want to jump into this conversation today. One of the reasons we're talking is I'm pumped because the last time you were on the podcast, you said you were writing a book and now yeah, I have it in my hands. Why would, yes. why She's would so anyone loved. go to church? Why would anyone go to church? A young community's quest to reclaim church for good. And so there's a few places I want to go in that direction, but um, you're talking about this, you know, community, family, diversity stuff. So I feel like we can't go much farther without talking about what's going on in the world right now. You know, people are going to listen to this in a few more weeks. So it feels like it honestly feels like in 2020 recording something and not releasing it the same day is getting, is getting, um, oh, harder to do because stuff, um, stuff has changed so quickly week like to week. For month sure to month. In two weeks, we've got aliens. Like it's yeah. like, people, like <laughs> right. why aren't they talking about the aliens? Like, yeah, well, for sure. That's not mm. even controversial. Like, I mean, one of us is dead wild. from killer bees. One of us oh, has died. Killer bees are like, People, we forgot about killer bees. They're going to come back for their moment in 2020. It is a crazy year. Yeah. Well, even you're joking about aliens, but like, I think it was, it was it in March that yeah, we had aliens <laughs> that they confirmed the NASA or whoever confirmed that they thought they were seeing signs of life in other places. And like nobody even batted an eye because there was way too much else going on in the world. Bro, only in 2020 could you be like, here's a video footage of an alien and it doesn't even register on Twitter. So like, <laughs> shut up, that, shut up with your UFO. We don't have time for that. Everything's crazy. We don't have time for any aliens right now. Yeah, it is next level. It's a next level year. Like, yeah. oh my word. Yeah. So, you so know, part of this, this yeah, I mean, that. part of this, what we're talking about, uh, in the world as of today, we're talking about June, 2020 is, um, black lives matter, George Floyd, you know, um, protests, demonstrations, riots, um, uh, all kinds of things, you know, like there's policies that are being changed in cities, all kinds of stuff's going down right now in this area of things. So tell me, tell me what's going on for you, you know, as a pastor in this conversation, um, how's that being addressed in your community? Um, but also, you know, we're talking about this global family. We're talking about people mm -hmm. who are different than us. Um, um, yeah, just what are your sort of reflections on this as a, as a pastor, as a guy who goes to church? <laughs> I mean, as a pastor, I, I think this stuff is so contextual. Um, and so there are things happening right now in America, which I'm, I'm deeply like my heart is invested in tons of people in our church giving money, um, standing with supporting doing social media kind of stuff to um, especially respond in these areas where police brutality is being really high and where there needs to be a defunding or a reallocation of resources. Um, and so there's that. And then there's the question, which is always, I think, the most pressing question for local people, which is, okay, so what does this mean about here? You know, so I'm looking over at this conversation in America, but no one with half a brain or any friends um, of color would, would say that racism doesn't exist here. Certainly black, indigenous, people of color voices in Canada have faced um, prejudice, have faced white supremacy, uh, and the church has not been free from that in Canada. You know, a lot of the legacy of the church in Canada is tied to the abuse of indigenous people. And so, 
you know, for me, there's the there's the question of us as a local church. How do we respond to this present moment, like this weekend? Um, how do I, as a white male pastor in a predominantly white church, talk about this um, and and make sure that we're surfacing the right voices? How do people of color in our church spend time together talking and bringing things back to our church to sharpen us, to help us repent, to help us keep growing? How do white people in our church work through uh, their questions of what it means to be uh, a white person dismantling white supremacy and becoming free from the, the demonic activity of white supremacy? And how do we do that without burdening people of color? You know, so we're participating in, in groups that are trying to help that happen. And so, you know, there's all of those big questions, but um, nothing's going to happen overnight for, for most of our people in our churches in Canada, at least in my context. Um, this is this is about standing in solidarity with those who are demanding immediate action and marching if need be, all of that. But then also the, the question of what are we going to be in six months from now? In a year from now, are we still going to be talking about this? Um, are the white people in our community still going to be engaged with this in a year? Um, yeah. Am I still going to be thinking about the realities of white supremacy and colonialism on Christian faith? Or is this really about looking like good people and making sure we do the right posts and say the right things to get a pat on the back so that we don't feel so guilty all the time? And then we can go right back to the status quo. Um, so, you know, I've got this line in the book. It's <laughs> such a bitch. I got this line on the book. But I, I have chewed on this a lot when it comes to the church, which is that the book of John talks about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, uh, moving into the neighborhood, Eugene Peterson's famous translation. So we've got a lot of words on the internet, and those are really important. But the question is always, how do they become flesh? So in protest marches, we see these ideas becoming flesh. And then here in, in you know my own city, which is ultimately where I am most responsible, um, are these words that we're talking about going to become flesh in our lives? Can we do this with 10 people? Can we do this with 100 people? Can we do this with 500 people? And can this in, enfleshment, this incarnation, be something that is going to have a long-term lasting impact on our lives and on our place? Or is this just another word that we're going to throw out there, but mm -hmm. we're never going to embody and incarnate? Yeah, well, I mean, I love what you're talking about here because obviously Word Made Digital is a podcast about, you know, in, well, that that phrase is inspired by John chapter one, where the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. But now the word is becoming digital and moving into the palm totally. of our hands. And so but now what we're talking about or what you're talking about is actually the opposite. So the word has become digital. There's people who are um, in this case, you know, posting, speaking out online, you know, mm -hmm. videos, content, um, <coughs> even organizing rallies and all this kind of stuff. But you're yeah. saying it's the reverse. Actually, we've gone from in per analog to digital, and now we're going back to analog, um, which is yeah, kind I mean, of the I'd point. Like, digital is awesome. Like I no knock on digital, like the amount no, of information no. I've learned, the amount of voices I've had access to over the last couple of weeks you know, this is an embarrassment of riches, you know, that we can talk and, and organize and, and view all of this, the, the amount of footage that's being shared, you know, this is changing the face of, um, of the world and has many times over. So digital's great, no knock on that. Um, but human beings are fundamentally dirt creatures, you know, like we are embodied. And so I, now this is just my personal conviction. I personally believe that the digital is always subservient to the flesh, um, that the digital, you know, it's meant to serve people, not people serving it. And so, you know, go online, do the thing. Um, if it makes you more human, if it makes you uh, a better follower of Jesus, if it makes you a better lover of neighbor and God, then engage with it. 
but it, it's got to always result in those tangible practices that are always going to be embodied. So use the digital as a tool to get the word to flesh, but don't think that becoming digital is ultimately um, the end goal. Right. At least I I would read in scripture that um, that the end of of all of life is is human encounters, is reconciliation of physical places and people, um, and the digital has a, a unique role to play in that. And what a cool time to be alive to get to explore that. Um, but I think that at least at this point, as it as it seems to stand, I think that flesh always kind of wins. That's always the end goal of this, and so it has to flow in that direction. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what I feel hopeful about coming out of, you know, this time of a global pandemic, like are people around the world being told to stay home and all we have left is this digital thing. And so I think we're getting clearer than ever. Um, our generation will, I think, know all that digital can do and yet how limited it is at the end of the day, that there's lots of stuff it can totally. help us with. And yet this longing in all of us for the fleshiness, for the face-to-face, yeah. for the real life, there's something that digital can never replace about that. Joanna, you you would laugh if you saw me at night. In my evenings lately, I've been putting on headphones and like laying in a hammock with my eyes closed and listening to stand-up comedy and to live music records to hear a room of people clap after a song. And like if you trick yourself just right, you almost feel like you're in the room laughing with people. And <laughs> and that feeling, that feeling that we're shaping matter together, that we're changing the air, that everything we do is shifting the room around us. There's nothing like that. But Digital's pretty good too. Like what this what a beautiful thing that we have this option. You know, as long as it doesn't become our God, as long as it doesn't become uh the final word, it has an incredibly important place. But let's let it be in its place, which is saying in this time for us, even as a church, we're gonna do online church. We're gonna do we've done YouTube weeks, we've done Zoom weeks, you know, and this is great, but let's not pretend for a minute that this is why any of us go to church. Right. Like if this so, was all there was, people in our church would be dropping out of church pretty quickly. Yeah. But because they know this is an embodied community, we can do a couple of months. We can do even up to a year or two um, using these digital mediums to help us as long as we know that we're ultimately aiming towards flesh and blood community in time and place locations. Right. So, I mean, your book is called Why Would Anyone Go to Church? But now it's the question is, why would anyone go to church on the Internet? Like, why would someone, uh, you know, go on their phone, go on their tablet, whatever their computer and like log into a church service right now? Like, what are you sort of what is what are you pulling out of all that you've learned? You said you learned three or four things. You know, what are these three or four things that you're learning? I think three or four. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I, I wrote an, I actually wrote an article about this that people can read at Outreach Magazine um, recently. But um, they titled the article uh, "Online Church Relationships Win." I was thinking about calling it "Your Church Service is Mediocre," but that's because I like clickbait. Um, but essentially, the idea was, you know, I was talking about how in the first couple of weeks of online church. Like I felt like I was just zapping into people's bodies every I, I watched every church. I watched all of them. Every church I've ever wanted to visit. I was clicking, clicking like 20 tabs open. Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Because when else do you get to see this yeah. broad range of church? And what I was taking away as I clicked on all of these is just that, man, almost all of these services are just terrible including ours. Like I'd go to our link and I was like, boy, this isn't very impressive. Like 
it's this guy speaking to a camera in an empty room and a musician playing to an iPhone and here's somebody praying the prayers of the people into their iPhone and oops, nobody knows which way to hold the camera. So now we've got horizontal and vertical footage cutting into it. Like, this is just not, <laughs> this, this is, is not bad. good. Yeah. This is not like, nobody's going to log on to do this if it was just like for the internet. Um, but what kept hitting me that I found so powerful is that even though there were the odd mega churches who were really like doing a, a slick show, like really top-notch performance because they've already got a staff team to do it, um, people would watch that maybe once and then people would go back to their little church's yeah. horrible live stream. <laughs> and I'm not saying other churches, like ours, like Eucharist. This is not the most impressive online show anyone's ever seen. But people from our church kept going to it. And I was thinking, why is that? And what I realized is I think that most of us, at the end of the day, we what we really want from church, it's not really about like the quality of the sermon or the quality of the music or the quality of anything. We really want to see people we know read the Bible on Sunday. And we want to see someone we know lead the prayers of the people. And we want to see our pastor. We want her to speak to us. And maybe there's a better preacher online somewhere else from a like, you know, kind of homiletical perspective. But that's nothing compared to my pastor or my shepherd giving us a word, not us, everyone on the Internet, but the 100 people watching this or the 50 people watching this or the yeah. 200 people watching this, like that we are still spiritually connected at some level, even when we can't physically be joined together. And I think that that actually says a lot to us about what we really want from church at the end of the day. And I think it's far more about relationships and about um, being a part of a tribe together, being a part of a family together, coming to Jesus's table together. I think those things are truly what matters about church. And we're seeing that even more in stark contrast in a time when you could watch any live stream. The idea that people are still watching their community's live stream just warms my heart. Wow. I mean, you say in the book, um, the king, you, you say the kingdom of God is like a potluck. Mm. Yes, and, just delicious. And you tell this story. Tell I want you to talk about this a bit because you tell this story at the end, end of the chapter about a, a Christmas for Syrian refugees. Yeah, oh, tell, tell us about great. tell us about this concept of kingdom of God is like a potluck. Well, so yeah, in in the book I talk about the idea. Wow, it's fun to say that. This is one of the first people I've done an interview with, Joanna, who's actually read the book. I've done a couple interviews where they're like, the title of the book is, and then they never say anything else about the book. And oh. you're like, oh, <laughs> okay, okay. Read it, which is fine. I, you got a lot of books on your plates, but I'm glad you it's fun to actually talk about the content. Um no, this I think a lot of churches that I um have maybe watched online or even been like, ooh, I want to be like this church. You're like, this church is a great rest, it's like a great restaurant. Like you you can know what you're going to get. And it's going to be done really, really well. And it's going to be, you know, like a dish and it's, it's made perfectly and you're going to sit down and they're going to bring it to you. And it's beautiful. And you get exactly what you want. You show up to church and they're like, here's the menu. We've got these things on the menu and which would you like? And then you say what you'd like, you know, I'd like kids ministry and I'd like a Tuesday night Bible study. And I'd like a, a women's group on Wednesday mornings. And you get your, you get what you wanted and then at the end, you pay your bill. You you know, you give your tithe and you take a, you take <laughs> yeah. a seat right. and then you go, great, I'm going to keep going to that meal as long as it makes me happy. But if I'm ever not happy with the meal, I'll just go to a different restaurant. And that's not, I'm not going to say that's like sinful. I just think that's, um, that's one way to be the church. But another way to be the church is to see it like a potluck, which is to say, 
um, everyone that is here is bringing something to this meal and everybody's bringing something different. So the more diversity you have in that space, bringing food to, to Christ's table, you know, the better, um, the more different scents and smells, the more diverse your potluck's going to be. Some of the food that you're going to try, you're not sure if you like it. You're going to be a little uncomfortable. You might try it and love it. Sometimes you might try something and realize it's not for you. Um, you can come to a potluck if you have something to bring or if you have nothing to bring, right? Like you go to a potluck and, and you're not prepared. That's okay. It's free. Sit down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but after a couple of meals, you're going to be asked if you could help with the dishes afterwards. It's participatory. You have a role to play. It's shaped by the people in the room. You know, at a five-star restaurant, if a kid comes up to me, I'm like, get away, go back to your table. But at a potluck, kids come and eat right off my plate. You know, like <laughs> it's it's messy. It's weird. Um, and it's completely determined on who is there and the place that you are in mm-hmm. together. Um, and so, yeah, it's never going to be as impressive as a really good restaurant, but it's sustainable and it's beautiful. And also it's the only thing that every church across human history has participated in the potluck that no one has ever killed each other over. Think about that. How many sacraments do we have? You know, people were drowning each other over baptism 500 years ago. And all along we've had this sacrament of the potluck. Nobody's murdered anybody over meatballs. That Nobody's we ever know of, anybody, Kevin. That we know of. You know, like, <laughs> how beautiful is it that every church, every background, every denomination does the potluck? I just think that is the most kingdom vision. Yeah. And so, you know, this is something that we regularly kind of go over as a church. We'll, we'll even say, you know, tell us about potlucks versus restaurants. And as people explore and they kind of name the differences, I'm not going to say no church should be a restaurant, but we've realized that we, and I think many churches, um, would actually be better putting our energy into being a, a kind of kingdom of God potluck than we would trying to be a, a massive dinner. Yeah. Uh, now, I mean, you, the, you tell this. You mentioned the Syrian refugee story. Yeah, you can you can uh, lead into that if you have something you want to you want to well, ask. Well, just about that. It. I mean, we're talking you know talking about diversity, talking t- about how to understand people, different culture, different skin color, maybe um, different language, uh, mm-hmm. different religion. Um, and there's just this lovely story that you end the chapter with. Um, yeah, that was, um, that was an event hosted by a number of people in our church who are very involved in refugee settlement and, uh, refugee issues, which has become a major focus of our church. Despite the fact that when we started, I knew nothing about refugees, you know, it is entirely because people in our church brought that to the potluck. They brought their love of refugees to the potluck and they brought their refugee friends to church. And then they said, how do we make this a more accessible space for people for whom maybe English is a second language or not a learned language yet? How do we make it a space that can culturally reflect the people that are coming like a potluck? Uh, and they had this idea after the, the Syrian uh, refugee crisis a couple of years back to do uh, an event in Hamilton called Our Hamilton Christmas, which was originally called Our First Hamilton Christmas, which was if it's your first Christmas in Hamilton, um, you can come and have a Christmas party with us, uh, which meant we had a couple of people who had just moved to the city come, a number of people from our church who were helping plan it and kind of making space. And then the largest influx was these like seven minivans full of refugees from Syria that a number of people in our church had connected to. And they were incredible. And the women said, um, we want to prepare like most of the food, you know, like everyone can bring something, but we want to prepare food for everybody. And we were like, no, 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 you can't do It's too much. It's too much. They said, no, it's our, this is how we show our love. So they, you know, we rented out the kitchen at the church we were renting and they just went for like 12 hours making all these Syrian dishes. And so in the end we had this meal that had like 
you know, a crock pot of meatballs, classic white people food, um, you know, but it also had this Syrian chicken. And then it had, you know, people bringing food from other cultures that they, you know, that their parents maybe taught them how to cook in these different ways. So we ended up having this incredibly diverse meal. And then at the end, we started just playing music off of iPods and dancing around. And uh, one of the Syrian elders who was there, um, and they would have, I think they were all Muslim. Um, you know, he, they had never been in a church building before. This was, we were all interacting and talking through Google Translate. And uh, they came up and pointed at their phone and it was this song. I obviously couldn't read the title of it. It was on YouTube in another language. And they put it on and it was this beautiful Syrian song that was like really dancey. And they just started dancing. And then everyone in our church just started dancing with them. Hmm. And as we're all dancing in this big circle and watching this kind of Syrian elder who's showing us how to dance, I'm looking around at this group spinning in circles. And it's like Syrian kids who have just arrived in Canada next to little white kids from our church and little dark skinned kids from our church next to uh, a Christian worship leader from our church next to a Syrian mother next to a lesbian couple next to, uh, you know, super conservative, charismatic Christian. And you're just like, what are all of these people doing, doing in the here? same room? Like, <laughs> for real. Yeah. Well, if you map these people politically, they don't line up, right? Like they, they would never choose to be in the club together. They wouldn't choose the same restaurant, right? If you had 10 restaurants, we'd all choose different options. But the potluck vision of church and of the kingdom was bringing these differences together um, and really seeing that what makes it different is also what makes it beautiful. And that's not to say um, there's sort of a cheap universalism of like there's no distinctions between different groups of people or certainly no uh, distinctions between a Christian vision of God or a Muslim vision of God. Um, It's disrespectful to Muslim people and Christian people to pretend Mm -hmm. these are the same. But there was a principle in that, that God's kingdom is about differences coming together. It's the Jew and Gentile, male, female, slave-free reality of all these different cultures, contexts, and backgrounds coming to Christ's table and therefore becoming more like Christ. Um, you know, there is that mission of God that I don't want to distinguish or that I don't want to diminish. But we've often been so quick to point towards a Christian vision or, or Christ-like vision of the world that we've... um, shoved down the differences that are among us or tried to get everyone to look and talk and act the same, which is often just making people white Western Christians instead of saying, what does a genuine Jesus expression of faith look like in your culture, in your background, in your body? And that's a very different question. I think that's the potluck question. Come to Christ's table, bring what you have, and let's see how Jesus takes all of our little contributions and make something amazing out of them. Hmm. Yeah, I remember Does being that make at sense? a. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I remember being at a, um, um, Urbana, which is like a, a student mm. missions conference in the states. This is many yeah. many years ago when I was a, a university student, and um, there was a African bishop who spoke to us. So a senior leader in the Church of of. Um, you know, the Anglican church of Africa. And he was over, you know, he oversaw many countries and he did all this stuff. So he just, you know, a very powerful guy. (laughs) And so much power, so much power. No, but you know, a guy, it's real significance. And, um, he, he basically was talking about, you know, all these, um, we're talking about the colonialism and the, the diversity of voice and thought in the Christian church. Basically there was this line where he said, perhaps drinking from, the Western or the Western and European type of Christianity 
uh, in light of the decline of Christianity in the West and uh, the, you know, huge uprising of Christianity in many of the many countries of the rest of the world. So he basically just says this line where it's like Mm -hmm. perhaps drinking from the Western um, type of Christianity is a is a poisoned chalice. That like you mm. like this idea of like you wanting my Christianity to look just like a British person, an American person, or whatever, right. it might actually be to our death. <laughs> and maybe, you it, know, it, because like amen. if we look at you, you want us to do it like you, but like your church isn't growing. I mean, as a whole. I mean, there are definitely right. churches yeah. growing, but but you know, why why maybe you should look at us for how to do things, you know, and it was well, as like, a young yeah. person very transformative in my thinking and an awareness of my own racial bias. Um, like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, right. This like this man and just this idea of the poison chalice <laughs> has sort of stuck with me for ten years or whatever it's been. Um, we, we've done, we've done restaurant Christianity for a long time. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, now there have been great missionaries this whole time, right? Like, so really it bugs me when people kind of paint all missionaries or all Christians the same kind of way. Of course. There's been amazing, very localized patient kinds of, uh, missionary witness work. But yeah, what we've often done is we've treated Christianity like this restaurant. We show up and say, hey, here's what we have to offer you. And here's how you have to dress to show up at the restaurant. And here's what you have to talk like. And here's how you order. Like we've tried to prescribe exactly what Christianity should look like without realizing that we're actually describing not the meal we've been invited to, but kind of our own preference of how we do this this meal. Um, But if we if we in the West can kind of humble ourselves enough to say, uh, you know, we aren't going to control what the table looks like. We're going to bring what we have to bring to this potluck. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to bring I'm sure there are good things that have come out of Western Christianity. I have no doubt, but they're not going to be able to truly be transformative and fruitful until they are with other expressions, you know, not ruling over other expressions, um, but able to say, hey, we're going to sit back and let other people bring dishes to the table and we're going to bring our our dish, our contribution humbly and with a great uh, posture of listening. And, you know, we're going to just see how God uses these different dishes in this big meal. And we may need to adjust the dish that we brought. Maybe we will find that it's poison or maybe we'll find that, uh, you know, if you eat too much of it, it's poison, <laughs> you know, but but that we really need to be able to sit back and see what the greater body of Christ is doing so that we can learn how to participate better. And maybe even, as you said, rescue our own expression of the church from its demise. You know, we have given so much into consumerism, so much into capitalism that to plant a church, people think you need fifty thousand dollars and like a really nice brand. Not that I'm against branding. I like branding. But, you know, we have this idea that to plant a church, you have to have all this money and all this stuff. And people around the world are putting us to shame. They're planting Mm -hmm. churches of 10 people in a living room. And then every three months, they're multiplying. Like what in the world? The the future of the church doesn't Mm -hmm. look like you or I, and it doesn't look like most of the congregations that have survived the last 20 years. Um, It's going to look more like the little churches that uh, you know, the little churches that maybe couldn't hang in this quick, quickly evolving world of church growth. Um, but if we can shift our model, I think what we're seeing around the world is that these small expressions that can multiply and that are owned by a grassroots collective, um, those are going to be expressions of church that can flourish in a post-Christian world when we don't have big buildings and we don't have big budgets. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that said, um, you know, as someone who has worked in the big church with the big budget, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I serve a lot of those kinds of churches even now. I mean, 
it's not that they're, I, I, I'm very hesitant to say, oh, they're all bad. I mean, I don't think that's what you're saying, but you know, just to be clear, just to be clear, uh, you know, there are some wonderful, amazing things that happen at a mega church. I mean, the first church, you know, on, in, you talk about the early chapters of Acts when like 3000 people become Christians in one day, we're talking like a mega church from day Mm. one. (laughs) So Mm. what I mean, you know, and they met in homes and they had to divide and conquer, you know, to like organize the people and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, so there are, there are some wonderful things that can, can come out of mega church and, you know, if you have a big budget or production, but that, that's but my point. And I think your point too, is this isn't the only model we should aspire to. If that's not the model, if you don't have the money, if you don't have the resource for that, there's lots of other ways to do church that are beautiful, wonderful potlucks. And even mega churches can function like a potluck. You know, the size of a congregation doesn't actually determine its spiritual perspective or kind of the, the practice that it has. Um, but it often the larger a church is, the easier it is for people to become consumers and for church staff to become mm-hmm. servers at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. But I also know there are tons of mega churches for whom um, the staff are designed, their role is to equip the people to be the church. One of my favorite churches in uh Canada, my whole country, is the Meeting House. I love the Meeting House. Like, I am big, big cheerer of uh, of that community. Now, it's yeah, one of the many, mega churches they I have. have a, I mean, just for people who don't know the context, Meeting oh, yes, House has, yeah, yeah, what, yeah. like 20 campuses or something like that. Yeah, campuses all over and, and staff teams. But they've really put their effort into how do we equip the people that join us on a Sunday to also be in home churches, to also yeah. be in their neighborhoods and be present. And yeah, I think it is the the kind of laziest stereotype to say big church bad, small church good, um, in the same way that small church bad, big church good. No, no, no. Forget forget the, the wrapping on it. The real question is what's on the inside? Is this a place where people are becoming disciples, where people are being empowered and equipped to be the church? Or yeah. is this a place where people are coming to consume a product? And 20 people can come to consume a product as easily as 2,000. You know, so it really is a question of um, the posture we have. Is this a restaurant you're coming to to come and receive and give money and go home? Or is this a potluck where you are called to bring something into this church, whether that's a church of 10,000 or a church of 10 in a living room? Yeah, man, it's so good. I mean, I... I think, you know, we, we said before we start, we hit record on the call. You're kind of joking. Um, I'm releasing a I'm book. I'm always joking. Oh, you're always joking, but I'm releasing a book about why would people go to church in a moment where no one can go to church. <laughs> no, and um, you maybe shouldn't even because it might be dangerous. Yeah, yeah maybe don't crazy. go. Please stay home. That's the next title of the book. Maybe don't go to church right now. <laughs> <laughs> Although I see people are people are starting to get creative. It's happening, but it's a yeah. wild and and very strange time to put in a book like this. You know, even even just today. Um, as we tape in, as we record, uh, the leader of our province has announced that churches can open with 30% capacity. Yeah. So oh, yeah. There's lots of implications there. I mean, the reality is that a lot of churches will still choose not to because the amount of effort um, to try and get those safety measures met when it's actually like easier to continue to meet online. You know, every church is going to make different decisions about that, but things are changing. Totally. See, even literally during this call, things are changing yeah. moment by hour moment by in hour. the world. That's the, the, never has it been more true. I just said to, on a call with uh, the Compassion uh, International film team earlier, we we're talking about some film projects and never has it been more true. Like 
this, the don't worry about tomorrow, like tomorrow, tomorrow has enough problems of its own. I feel like so many days here in this pandemic (laughs) scenario for like from March, 2020 on has been like, just deal with today. Like we don't even know what's going on tomorrow. The world is on fire. (laughs) But Joanna, some of us are trying to release a book and we kind of need to plan about next week. It's very stressful. It is stressful. It's also, uh, yeah. I mean, it's stressful, but it's also like this is what an incredible time, you know, yeah. for, for my um, my black siblings in Christ, you know, watching them engage in this. What a beautiful moment. So, beautiful. I, you know, I don't even want to complain about it. No. It's just like, oh, darn. And also this this book, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a live time to be the church. And all of this is it's all the same. This is all a part of the same thing. It's a part of God's work to bring justice, to bring reconciliation. And and even in this pandemic time. The spirit is teaching us how to be the church more. You know, this isn't about going back to what was. You know, I, I've been pastoring a local church for a decade, and what we were before this pandemic was a beautiful thing. I loved it. And also, we had a really hard time figuring out how do we get people in their neighborhoods to connect, um, not just organically. People in our church do that incredibly well. But how do we do sustained long-term engagement, and not just as our church Eucharist, but with other sister churches in the city? How do we leverage our money for affordable housing, for refugee care, for um, discipleship? And we've always struggled to do that. And now the only way we might be able to gather is in groups under 30 in our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there's a mentor of mine asked recently, um, what would absolute failure look like on the other side of this COVID crisis? What would huh. failure look like? And um, I mean, the one answer is that like, you know, uh, <laughs> that I'm dead. That's failure. If COVID gets me, that's uh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a certain kind of obvious failure. Um, but but I think for a lot of us for whom you got to stop uh, licking everything at the grocery store. I mean, start there. I know. I know. Uh, apologies to anyone for whom is actually wrestling through this in a much more intense way than no, some of than some of us who, no, who made mean, a joke. Um, <laughs> it is a serious. Of course, I'm laughing just because. Of course, you know we hope you don't die. And I mean, it's it's. I you know I actually had it myself early on in you know earlier on in the winter and and uh, you know it was a I was feeling terrible for you know a couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, I mean people you had are, COVID. Yeah. Whoa, that's brutal. It's it's awful. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to, so so um you know necessary uh, concern there for sure. I think then though the other question is like so what's what does failure look like for a community in on the other side of this? And some of those markers were really interesting. You know, for me, failure would look like we don't respond to the moment, we just kind of ignore it. Um we put our heads down and pretend that it's not as painful and challenging as it is. Or we immediately go back to trying to do what we did before when really there's an opportunity to do something brand new. So when when our church started, we were like 30, 40 people on a Sunday. And then come summer we were like 20 people on a Sunday, right? Because <laughs> when you're when you start and you're 40 people, you know, you can't do the same thing. And so, you know, I'd go to I'd go and be a part of church services all the time where there was no one there because it's summer. The room is half empty or more. Um, and the worship leader's like, hey, everybody, so good to be together. Let's worship the Lord. And you're like, hey, bro, there's 10 people here. <laughs> we shouldn't. Let's not pretend that there's 80. Like, <laughs> Right. Like we're all maybe we should just all move a bit closer together. Maybe we should lean in. Uh, And so we started saying instead of let's make a vow that we will never pretend that what's happening isn't happening. And let's always ask the question, 
what can we do in this moment that we couldn't in any other? What can we do with 20 people that we couldn't do with 40? You know, now we're a church um, when we were allowed together, you know, 150 people or so on a Sunday, like a, a, a mid-sized church, small to mid-sized church. Um, but we would then ask in the summer, if we're down to 80 people, what can we do that we couldn't do otherwise? So we do a shortened service. We go to the park and have a potluck afterwards. We um, we spend time in breakouts to talk and stuff like that together. But but let's just do something different rather than try to do a poor version of a thing we love. Mm. Yeah, so like using, time, using the medium the to bend to or to lend to who is actually there in the same way, like exactly. the online service feeling like that. Hey, everybody, let's go. It's like, you know, everybody's like in their pajamas in bed right now. And the kids are running around like, Seriously. like, like my kids hanging off my neck. I'm drinking a beer while we meet in the afternoon. So we're allowed to have beer. Okay, if you have okay. beer at 9 a.m. Like <laughs> we meet at three. Beer at three is still a little suspicious, but I think you're fine in the summer. But but yeah, like, you know, let's just not pretend that this isn't what it is. And let's by owning exactly what it is, we will experience and be able to encounter God in ways that we couldn't if we pretended that it wasn't the situation it is. So how do we really be present in this moment and respond to this moment so that when the time comes that we can go back to how we were before, we don't go back to exactly what we were before, but we actually integrate these kind of two realities of scattered church and gathered church mm -hmm. in a way that maybe we struggled to before. And I think for a lot of communities that are engaging in this time right now, um, those are the kind of pertinent questions we have to ask. And it'll look different city to city, country to country, age group, demographic, it will look different. Um, but I think that question is one that we can all be asking in these kind of times. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, we are dancing all over the place. <laughs> I love that. I like that. I know. I expect whenever I talk to you, we're going to probably uh, dance around a bunch of different things. So <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we don't um, have know, an agenda. If, <laughs> hey, if people want to find more of you, they want to find your book, your YouTube channel, you've got some cool content on YouTube. Love the where, tubes. <laughs> where, where do people go to find all things so Kevin people, Makins? Hello, friends. If you want to connect, uh, you know, add me on Instagram or Facebook, Kevin Makins, M-A-K-I-N-S. On my website, there are links to every project I've worked on over the last decade, kevinmakins.com, including YouTube videos and um, some spoken tours I've done before. And then if you want to find out more about the book, you can find that at kevinmakins.com or you can just buy it wherever books are sold or soared. <laughs> so I almost nailed that like it's such a professional. And then I said soared at the end. You can okay, find it. Wherever that last books. word keeps you humble. I know. It's just so humble. What a what a sad ending to that little pitch. You can find <laughs> Why Would Anyone Go to Church Wherever yeah. Books Are Sold. Awesome. And uh, I hope if you read it that you like it. Awesome. Kevin, I want to keep following you, see what you are up to. Thanks for your book. Um, thanks for the thanks stories for you're telling. Thanks for having me on, Joanna. Always and, a blast. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun to hang out. Uh, and um yeah, I mean, I, I with you am like excited and in anticipation of the future of the church, uh, this digital mm -hmm. analog melding as we have opportunity to um, to grow, learn and change. I think some real change is needed and I'm excited mm -hmm. to be part of it with you. Amen, sister. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Kevin, always a pleasure, always a surprise what we're going to talk about. I never know, and you keep me on my toes. A lively conversation. Thanks so much for your insight. Next up is the last episode of season four. We are there. We have arrived at the end of season four. Season five is around the corner with lots of exciting content, but... 
next episode is with Sam Collier, pastor, speaker, writer. He has a TV show and radio podcast that airs to 100 million people. If you don't know him, he's from North Point Ministries with Andy Stanley. He's part of Rethink Group, which is with Reggie Joyner and the Orange Network. And he's been with Alpha International. He's done all kinds of stuff. He's been at Global Leadership Summit. You want to check this guy out. You want to hear what he has to say next week. Uh, We're going to go into topics um, around Um, the story of his life, uh, the story of our life and how we can tell it better. And uh, we're going to get into some topics like Black Lives Matter and things like that. So come back next week for that episode. Of course, thanks so much to Compassion and to Wycliffe who are partnering to make this possible. Compassion.ca slash COVID is a place you can get involved, uh, thinking of others beyond ourselves and inspiring them to be part of the church because we loved them well. And of course, Wycliffe College is a place to grow as a leader in the church. If you're a leader, as you're, if you're a disciple, it's a place that you can grow in your knowledge and insight about being a follower of Jesus. So go to wycliffecollege.ca slash word made digital. It made a big difference in my life and I hope it does in yours as well. Okay, everyone, we'll see you on the Digital Church Facebook group. Come join us there, join the conversation and see you here next week with Sam Collier. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.